Well, good morning, Missio Church. It's good to see everybody this morning. Good to see some familiar faces that we haven't been able to see every week over the past year. I trust you found your original seats. Uh, my name is Chris Ferrugio. I'm a covenant member here at Missio with my wife, Karina. And it is a joy and an honor to open God's word with you this morning. Um, we are entering our final chapter of 1 John, or as Jordan says, 1 John. Um, so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to 1 John chapter 5. And we'll be in verses 1 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever's been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Would you pray with me? Lord, we praise you for who you are and for what you've done for us. And we ask that you would give us clear minds to think about your word rightly. We ask that you would give us worshipful hearts to praise you as you deserve to be praised. Help us to see you, Jesus, as worthy of our whole lives, as worthy of our minds, our hearts, our obedience. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to start off this morning with a story that's been told for generations. It's a story about a father who had two sons, one older and one younger. The older son was an extremely hard and disciplined worker, and he would see his father as a hard man that demanded a lot from him and never really rewarded him for much. But he worked hard and didn't spend too much time outside of the home because he was too busy. He wanted to please his father and earn his respect. The younger son was very different. He was not a hard worker, but instead he would spend his days dreaming about what it would be like to leave his father's house and go and enjoy the world. He thought his father was too restrictive. He thought that he just wanted to keep him from all the fun stuff in life. And so because he hated working for his father and he wanted to go enjoy the good life, he demanded his inheritance from his father and he left to enjoy the world. Now Jesus told this story centuries ago to a crowd of people that included lawless sinners and legalistic scribes, young sons and older sons, 
And we refer to this story as the parable of the prodigal son. But this story is as much about the older son as it is about the younger son. And what I want to suggest is that what John is doing in our passage this morning is he's writing to keep us from being either son. He doesn't want us to think in terms of legalism. God is hard and demanding, but if I work hard enough, I can earn his love. And he doesn't want us to think in terms of lawlessness. God just wants to restrict my joy. Therefore, I will reject his commands and indulge in the world. But instead, he wants us to think about and know God's commands as liberating, satisfying, burden-free. Not legalism, not lawlessness, but liberty. And so here's the main idea of the text. It's this. The new birth gives rise to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, which changes our affections such that we love God and overcome the world, resulting in our joyful obedience to God's commandments. Or to say it another way, being born of God and treasuring Jesus attaches us to God and detaches us from the world, giving us the ability and the desire to keep God's commandments. So what we're going to see is that the new birth and faith bookend our text. Joyful obedience is at the top. It's the apex. And then love for God and victory over the world are the paths that bring us from faith to obedience. And these should sound familiar because they're the, the tests of, genuine, uh, of a genuine Christian that John's gone over in this book. Faith, love, obedience. And so let's work through these tests and see how they relate to each other. So number one, the new birth gives rise to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Look with me at verse one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. The first question we have to ask is what does it mean to be born of God? It's what we call regeneration, or the new birth, or being born from above, or being born again. It's one way the scriptures describe our salvation, and the emphasis is on God's sovereign work to bring us into his family. He makes us his. We are given new life. We are made new creations, and it's a glorious reality. Without it, we have no part in the kingdom of God, but with it, we are made sons and daughters of the king. And what does John say produces this new birth? Again, in verse one, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So so the new birth precedes and produces faith. Without being born of God, without being given new life, there is no faith. And everyone who does have faith has it because they've been born of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless one is born from above, unless one is born of God, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the new birth brings forth faith. But what is faith? Faith is believing 
that Jesus is the Christ. Faith is believing that Jesus is the Son of God. But it's more than mere intellectual assent to that truth, that statement that Jesus is the Christ. Right? The demons believe that. Mark 1.24, a demon speaking to Jesus said, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. The demons believe that, but they don't have true saving faith. So faith certainly involves believing right things about Jesus, but it's much more than that. To believe that Jesus is the Christ is to believe in and hope in Jesus, the God-man, as the long-expected Messiah who was promised in the Old Testament and who came and saved his people. To believe that Jesus is the Christ is to treasure Jesus as all-satisfying and to cling to him as your savior. That's what faith is, and it's brought about by the new birth. So number one, the new birth gives rise to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Number two, which changes our affections such that we love God and overcome the world. Look again at verses one and two, and then down in verse four. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. Look down in verse four. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So we have in verses one and two, the new birth gives rise to faith, which leads to love for God and his people. And then in verse four, we have the new birth produces or leads to overcoming the world, and the means by which that happens is faith. So let's let's look at these two fruits of faith, love and victory over the world. The love for God and his children. Verse one again, everyone who, believe, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever's been born of him. So if you've been born of God, then you have an inextricable bond with everyone else who's been born of him. And because we've all had the same experience of being given new life, we are mutually united to each other in love. Love for the Father and love for his children are so tightly woven together that to not love other believers is to lack any real evidence that we love the Father. How sad and antithetical to the gospel it is when we see fellow believers devouring each other, slandering each other, falsely accusing each other, gossiping about each other, being bitter towards each other. And even sadder it is when all this gets played out in public for the watching world to see. It is inexcusable the amount of disrespect and the amount of slander we see on social media between Christians. But it's not only on social media, it's not only in public, right? Most of us don't have a public platform for people to see our sinfulness on display. But that doesn't mean we don't enter into some of these things ourselves. How many of us have gossiped about each other in private conversations? 
How many of us have a disdain for other believers because of superficial things? How many of us have thought the worst about other believers in our hearts? If you and I fail to love our brothers and sisters, we show no evidence that we love God. May it never be so. May we love our brothers and sisters even as we love God. John goes on to say in verse two, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. Now this is a little different than what he's been saying up until this point. He's he's argued over and over again that it's impossible to love God without loving the children of God. But now he says that the reverse is true as well. It's impossible to love the children of God without loving God. Let me use an an illustration to try and explain this. So if if I hire you to, to come babysit my kids, First of all, good luck. They're cute, but they're hard sometimes. Right? You try and get Gabe to eat lunch. By the end of it, he's going to have you convinced that you need to eat it for him. And so if I hire you to, to come babysit them, and I give you the rundown about you know, how, to, how to love them, how to take care of them. This is what I want them to eat for breakfast. This is what they, they eat for lunch. They go down at this time for naps. They can watch this on the iPad, but only for this amount of time. I give you that, and then you come in, and you just totally ignore what I ask you to do. You just do whatever you want to do because you think you know what's best for my kids. They eat ice cream for breakfast instead of cereal. You don't put them down for naps. They watch the iPad all day. You might think you're loving my kids because that's what you would want for yourself, but you are not loving my kids. No, you're ignoring the one who knows them best, namely their father. And if you don't know me or you don't love me, you won't care at all about how I've told you how to love my kids. Right? So in the same way, if you do not know God and if you do not love God, you cannot properly love the children of God. Piper writes this, many things in the world look loving, but they are not real love unless they're done out of love for God and guided by his commandments. So both statements are true. How do we know that we love God? When we love the children of God. How do we know that we love the children of God? When we love God. Faith that is brought about by the new birth produces love for God and love for fellow believers. Faith that's brought about by the new birth also produces victory over the world. Look down at verses four and five. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Verse four says that if you've been born of God, then you will overcome the world and you will do it through faith. And then verse 5 shows that faith is the only way that we can overcome the world. So what does it mean to overcome the world? It means to no longer live in accordance with the world. And to be clear, this is not about winning culture wars. This is not about having a more Christian nation. This victory is nothing to do with force or human strength. 
This is not about success in Supreme Court cases or about the church getting what it wants from the government. No, this is about being victorious over the pull of the world to make us look more like them. To overcome the world is to no longer love the world. Here's what John Stott says happens when we overcome the world. He says, the spell of the old life has been broken. The fascination of the world has lost its appeal. And I want to make this as, as practical as possible. So here are some specific ways that faith overcomes the world. Think about these three categories. Think about persecution, think about temptation, and think about false teaching. So persecution, the, the world hates Christ and his followers, and they will do anything to stop his kingdom from advancing. And they'll do that through many forms of persecution. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's mockery, sometimes it's through legislation. But to overcome the world's persecution through faith is to not repay evil for evil or insult for insult. Because Jesus sustaining grace in the midst of persecution is enough. Temptation. The world wants you to indulge in every form of sensuality. It tempts us to seek maximal pleasure at any cost. But to overcome the world's temptation through faith is to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Because Jesus' satisfying grace is enough when temptation is strong. False teaching. The world is full of false teachers who seek to twist the scriptures and obscure the gospel. It would love nothing more than for you to stop believing that Jesus is the Christ. But to overcome the world's false teaching through faith is to not be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Because Jesus' words are sufficient for all of life over and against false teaching. Faith is the means by which those born of God love God and his children, and faith is the means by which those born of God overcome the world. So number one, the new birth gives rise to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Number two, which changes our affections such that we love God and overcome the world. And number three, our last point, resulting in joyful obedience to God's commandments. So let's get the verses in front of us and think through how this works. Picking up in verse three, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So what is the love of God? John couldn't be any more clear. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. It's not warm feelings, it's not an emotional experience, but rather obedience is is a moral commitment to the revealed will of God. It's active, it's practical. 
It's not void of emotion. It's not void of warm feelings. But these things are not the substance. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John continues, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So love for God produces obedience to God, but not just any kind of obedience. It produces an obedience that does not see God's commandments as burdensome. An obedience that gladly submits to God's will. An obedience that sees the law as beautiful and life-giving. This is the heart of this paragraph. This is, if you get nothing else, walk away with this. His commandments are not burdensome. If we would believe this, I mean really believe this, his commandments are not burdensome. If you do not love God, his commandments will always feel burdensome. They will always feel like a chore. You will never truly want to obey them. Why? Because who wants to obey someone they don't love? You might work really hard to obey God because you think there's something in it for you, heaven, eternal life, a good life here, but his commandments will always feel like a burden. They will never feel natural, and there will never be any true joy in obeying them. But if you love God, then his commandments, as we just sang, will be your happy choice. You will know that what he commands is for your good. And you will know that he's not looking for you to earn his love, but he's actually demonstrating his love to you through his commandments. Love for God makes obedience to his commandments a joyful act, not a begrudging duty. And there's something else in addition to love for God that takes the burden out of obedience. Look again at our verses. End of verse three says, and his commandments are not burdensome for every, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So overcoming the world is the ground or the reason his commandments are not burdensome. How does this work? What's the connection? Right, if we understand that the world is the system that's opposed to God and his will, that's opposed to his commandments, then if we are of the world, if we love the world, then all of God's commandments will also feel burdensome. Because the world tempts us to believe that obeying God's commandments is not as satisfying. Or the world tempts us to believe that disobeying God's commandments is more satisfying than obeying his commandments. It's a burden to keep yourself from the love of money if you believe the message of the world that the key to happiness is money. It's a burden to remain sexually pure if you believe the message of the world that says looking at pornography or committing adultery is more satisfying. It's a burden to not covet someone else's life if you believe the message of the world that says you deserve what they have. If we are under the power of the world, then all of God's commandments are a burden. But 
if we have overcome the world, if the world has lost its allurement, if the world is exposed as unsatisfying, then the commandments of God are no longer a burden, but rather the way to true and lasting joy and satisfaction. Love for God and victory over the world take the burden out of God's commandments. And they make obedience our joyful delight. And underneath all of it is the new birth and faith, which is a gift from God. This is what the two sons in Jesus' parable were missing. The older son did not relate to his father out of a relationship of love, but instead out of a relationship of slave to master. And as a result, what his father asked him to do was a burden. The younger son was in love with the world and therefore saw his father's commandments as restrictive. And as a result, they were a great burden. What son do you and I tend to emulate? Do you lean towards legalism and the burden that makes of God's law? Or do you lean towards lawlessness and love for the world and the burden that makes of God's law? Here's the Spirit's call to all of us today. It's to leave the system of the world and love the Savior of the world that you might live by the satisfying commands of the word. The only path to obedience that glorifies God and brings us joy is the path that clings to God and cuts out the world. If the commandments of God have always felt heavy and impossible to obey, then the call to you is to look to the superior worth of Jesus, repent of your sins, and put your faith in him that you might be born of God and genuinely love the Father. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If the pleasures of the world have always felt more satisfying than obedience to the will of God, repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus that you might be born again and renounce the world. Jesus says, in this world you, have, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Leave the system of the world and love the savior of the world that you might live by the satisfying commands of the word made flesh. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the work of salvation that you've done in so many of our lives and for how that has changed our passions, our disposition, our loves. And Lord, we know that that many times we fall short of what you've called us to. Many times we see your commandments as burdensome. Many times we want to follow the way of the world. 
but we pray that you would transform our hearts such that we love you more and we have victory over the world and that we would joyfully obey you and represent you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.